Those that learn it exists must possess a rare degree of intuition, sensitivity, and a questioning nature. However, very rarely, some gain this wisdom through wholly different means. This man is one of those few. Gentlemen, please take your mark! are about to burst listen to me there are five thousand different reasons why you should I know but i'm not withdrawing tom oh does the concept first in qualifying mean anything to you i've made up my mind and i'm running tomorrow oh are you you may run but if you push yourself anymore you'll be lucky to break nine minutes i mean why bother it's just not worth it buddy no one will ever beat my record it's the last chance for me to finally what Prove them wrong. Then do it without me. One and all, welcome to the latest and greatest edition of Nick's Nonfiction here with your host, comic Nick Munez. We have got our Thanksgiving edition today. It is Christopher McDougal breaking Born to Run. Take your turkey trot to the next level by throwing your shoes in the trash. They say running is the cheapest hobby. All you need is a pair of kicks. Not even. Christopher asserts that modern cushioned running shoes are the cause of running injuries, pointing to the huaraches worn by the Native American runners. We're doing trail versus road today, heel versus ball, shoe versus sandal. The Tarahumara is our tribe for the day, hiding down in the Mexico Copper Mountains. They're going to be racing the high rocky runners at the Leadville 100 ultra marathons today with the underlying question. How come in 1972, with the introduction of the modern running shoe, there was a skyrocket in running injuries? Christopher went to his doctor saying, my feet hurt. What am I supposed to do, doc? He said, well, if running makes your feet hurt, running must be bad for you. This is sound medical advice. Trust the science. He kept asking questions like, why haven't running injuries decreased? since the advent of Adidas smartphone or Nike air pump running technology. Forbidden questions led Christopher all the way down to Mexico, down with the Tarahumara. We're going to meet El Caballo Blanco, the elusive runner doing 100 miles up in the reserve. Nobody knows his real name. Deeper revelations about human morphology. Some decisions you make about your feet or maybe your mRNA, they can't be undone. This story is going to take so many twists and turns up and around the mountain. You're going to learn all about the Native American Bruja, the evil witch of running. They have lore. When I was in middle school cross country, our only tall tale was of the pedophile watching us in the woods. You had to run fast so he couldn't catch you. <laughs> Christopher has taken us to the deepest nooks and crannies of the running community and ultras these tough mutters were going over it is a developing subculture guys are still pushing the envelope right now and you saw the intro video to the show i am juiced up for this topic i've been running i won the 50 yard dash in fifth grade you know you never let that shit go <laughs> 
you should start running. It's everybody is born to run, as the title of the book says. How you nurture your feet and grow from there will decipher your longevity on the track. Is your refrigerator running? If so, I might vote for it in the 2024 election. Let's get an ad in here. About the author Christopher McDougall. He was born in 1962 in Peach Bottom, Pennsylvania. Now they just have an emoji as their town sign. <laughs> Population eggplant emoji. Uh, he's an American author, a journalist. He wrote for Esquire, New York Times Magazine, Outside, Men's Journal, Men's Health. His biggest bestseller is 2009 Born to Run. And in 2015, he wrote Natural Born Heroes. Based on him exploring aspects of physical fitness under Nazi abductions. What the heck? World War II? You had the Vichy French doing parkour to evade the SS. Didn't parkour come out of France? Uh, that's the art of running. <laughs> How come that's not one of the 50 ways to run in that meme? That one I just used as an ad? That guy got like 50 million views. It's a pretty funny video. There's really not much about Christopher McDougall online. You're going to learn about his entire journey. And this is a topic we like here on Nick's Nonfiction. Last year to kick off, we always do a stoic book, January 1st. It was David Goggins' Can't Hurt Me. He does the Hurt 100. It's like a 250-mile race. He ran around the perimeter of Hawaii. I like to see who's pushing the outer limits of human consciousness. There's these levels you're able to break as a runner. Like, I got epicondylar fasciitis because I ran a half marathon as an 18-year-old. My knees are going to start bowing because I'm six and a half feet tall. <laughs> Still hiking those 15-milers over on the Patreon. I don't know. Maybe I just got to break my knees to break it through the next wall and go totally cyberpunk on the track. Whatever. We're going to figure it out in seven chapters today after another advertisement. Chapter 1. My Feet Hurt. Christopher McDougall is spending days in the Mexico Sierra Nevada mountain range in search of the elusive Caballo Blanco. The village members are saying he was an old boxer who runs to punish himself because he killed a man in the ring. No one knows the guy's name, his age, or even where he's from, or why he's just running from village to village. He came to Copper Canyon years ago to run amongst these Stone Age super athletes. There was like an outside article in the 1970s that someone found out about the Tarahumara. And so these Rocky Mountains, you follow the Colorado River, it goes down to the West Coast. It's just a mountain range that goes through like Zion, Moab, Utah, and it goes all the way down to the coast, the Sur of Mexico, South California. All of these Tarahumara villages along the mountain range are calling the Caballo a ghost among ghosts. He's a super athlete among athletes. The minute you find out his identity, he's going to be out the door. We learned from the Tao, Lao Tzu. He's like the best runners leave no tracks behind them. He was like, you travel faster alone, but further in groups. That's going to be a theme for the book today. But these Chinese people, how did they... They were just rolling. They can't run. While looking for El Caballo Blanco, it's the first week down there, Christopher refines his question. It's not how come <laughs> these runners are so much better than me. It's how come my feet hurt. Black people don't have quick twitch fibers that make them the... Be you got to question what are white people doing wrong from the beginning. 
At this time, Chris was running two or three miles every other day. And the doctor was saying, running is your problem. You have an aggravated cuboid cluster. Very scientific term for pain. He's six four. Yeah, but why do I have the aggravated cuboid cluster? He's six four and 230 pounds. Christopher McDougall is an American. We would not call him a born runner. And so this sports science doctor is just blaming it on his size. You're a linebacker, kid. Maybe you could do some sprints. Chris had been writing for Men's Health and Esquire about semi-extreme sports. And he's like, in my writings, I definitely came across guys that were bigger than me and still had more endurance. Still repeatedly being told that the human body isn't meant to cover more than five kilometers a day, let alone your body, you fat fuck. Doctors tell him, you gotta cut that down three miles every other day. <laughs> That's how the body works. The more you relax, the stronger it gets. Christopher is looking for any only remaining denominator that there is. His equipment start running naked. There's no more variables. He's wondering why there hasn't been a decrease in running injuries since the advent of bed spring embedded soles. Adidas has that adjustable cushioning microchip. Literally, you could run around with a friggin' remote control and pump up your shoes. How come we're not so much safer now? <laughs> Feet have the most neural endings in the body aside from genitalia. That's why when you get tickled on your feet, you freak out. It's second to only being tickled on your dick. Christopher thinks he's cutting off circulation to his feet just because of the continuous slamming of the receptors and his really tightly tied shoes. <laughs> you know, I had issues as a kid. I said I ran the 50-yard dash. came at a price. I had this, like, OCD thing where I would tie my shoes as physically tight as possible. I remember breaking laces, and then you take your shoes off and they're all purple. <laughs> no, that's healthy, that's protecting your feet. He's going, yeah, you're slamming the receptors down on the ground. That's why running is just bad for you. If you're wearing a shoe or if you're not, the sports science later comes to terms that you're always producing 12 times the downforce of pressure. So you can either just buy padding to put under your feet or you can reinforce it with muscle. Running isn't really something that can be avoided. <laughs> I say that when 70% of Americans are overweight. The amount of childhood obesity grew by 10% during the pandemic. Yeah, you could probably avoid running. <laughs> In the olden days, you would run out of fear. Black people run when they see a really good magic trick. Excitement makes you run. Self-reported amount of runners tripled after the 1970s. There was a similar explosion in trail running after 9-11. There's something about, like, guys going to war and then realizing that, you know, nothing matters, you were lied to forever, you didn't really help. Sorry, I love to salute the flag and everything. You come back and these Vietnam vets just started sprinting in the streets, and they say that's partly what uh, Forrest Gump was based off of the whole movie. And then after 9-11, you saw these people just sprinting on the trails. You went to try to fight the war of terror, and your 16-year-old brother back in Oklahoma died of opium. Something about running has a uh, healing effect to these people that are looking for answers. McDougal is out there interviewing the locals. They're saying to him in broken English, this is a cure. We do it every day as a form of health like you're not supposed to punish yourself by exercising it's a celebration you're running down the street look at me i'm doing it i'm not gonna be able to do this in 50 years i'm gonna be on a fucking wheelie cart 
like the 70% of Walmart Americans. There's not a lot of information out there. People just doing it for the love of it are in, in magazines or being interviewed on MSNBC. MVC? It's like lived answers. This medical technology is different in Mexico. Like, you know, people go to get stem cell technology down there. Mexico isn't commercially paid for science. I'm just saying, you can really do whatever you want down there. Texans are flying drones over the border to get their abortions now in Juarez. He's saying, to find a ghost, he's still looking for El Caballo. You need a ghost hunter. So in one of the small villages, he comes across this guy named Salvador. Salvador is like really optimistic, a better runner than Christopher. He knows the entire history of the Tarahumara. And they got that name in 1890 when the settlers discovered them. Before that, they just called themselves people. Locals showed the settlers around the Copper Canyon through the 1930s for 40 years. They were kind of getting along. They knew the land intuitively, like the settlers. There's all these notes in the book about how these people could move faster with goods on their back than an unencumbered settler. There's different kinds of people out there, man. I climbed the Arafo Peak. It's over on the Patreon. I feel like I shouldn't be talking about this. I'm getting the chills right now. Maybe eight miles out, 13,000 feet in the air, you could see in the background there's the peak, and it was fucking like 30 degrees. I see a 12-year-old girl, and it looks like she has pajamas on, and she built up this little rock wall around her, and she kept like peeking up and down. It was one of the creepiest things I'd ever seen, but you got to ask yourself, there's no camping sites around here. What did this bitch run 13 miles up here in pajamas and she's going to run back down? It was a child. What the hell are these high altitude Indians? Sometimes when you're really far out there in the wilderness, Indian peaks, you might see some ferals and these people can move across the land better than you can. It's all they have to do all day. From the 1930s to the 1950s, the settlers employed the Tarahumaras to drug run across, you know, the U.S.-Mexico border. That was during, a, what's it called, prohibition. So the American culture started. We raced to NASCAR, the stock cars to transport the moonshine. The Mexican culture, they started running long distances to get paid. The settlers' notes said that the high-altitude runners got their longevity from smoking cannabis. Can you believe that? They stopped there. Oh my god, cannabis is going to give you asthma. It's bad for your lungs. Again, these sports science doctors aren't going to tell you. THC, it expands the capillaries in your lungs. They dilate so that you could take in more O2. That, like, sprinter, remember she was just kicked out of the Olympics for smoking weed this past year? It is a performance enhancer. Like, in China, you get put into the gulag if you have a gram of weed on you. <laughs> Those athletes would be running better. It's punishable by death there. What, the Jamaican runners? They got those Rasta hefty bag lungs because they're smoking all day. Salvador said he's seen local runners average 10 miles per hour downhill for several miles of elevation. <laughs> oh my god, that's a full sprint. And they're doing it downhill. Like you ever tr run trails? If you take a tumble, you're going to need a helicopter to get you out of there. They're going 10 miles for multiple miles. It's kind of like you can't stop, though. Like I was just saying, I don't know how that girl was up there in her friggin' pajamas. 
the elements are destroying you when you're in these Copper Mountain heights. They say the Copper Mountains are similar elevation to Leadville, where the chap where the race is going to take place in a couple chapters. Something about being up there in the tundra, it's like your body just knows, all right, keep on moving. If you stop here, maybe you do become feral. <laughs> like there's no cable cars like there are in Europe up into the peaks. You just ran seven miles up to the top of a mountain. You're at the summit trying to catch your breath while you're hallucinating and seeing God. And then some fat ass waddles off of a cable car eating a croissant. <laughs> There's something about the people that you see at the top earning it. I don't know. I'm being an elitist right now about running. You don't even need shoes. He asked Salvador, like, any of these Tarahumaras, are they over six feet like me? And he's like, yeah, back in the 1940s, we were transporting AK-47s across the Mexico border for the Soviets. He said they gave their biggest runners to this job. So, of course, there are people as big as him. The doctor was lying, but he has a degree. Mexico is second only to Iraq in number of kidnaps reported. So you better know how to run. And it's in their culture. Mexico, they're fucking Speedy Gonzalez. That's their DNA. Um, how come Mexico never wins any track and field events? All the ones who can run, jump, and swim already crossed the border. <laughs> Let's go along to chapter two. El Caballo Blanco. Salvador takes Chris to a 20-mile canyon. It's the depth of the Grand Canyon with no visible trails. The Kimare is a clan that lives there, and they travel by memory. They don't need any trails, markers, any cairns, little rocks stacked up to know where they're going. The deeper you descend into this canyon, they say the tighter the stone walls get. Like I just brought up Zion before. That has some of the best tight canyon hikes in the world. I cannot wait till I could go there. Okay, an Angel's Landing hike, you know that's going to be on the Patreon one day. Sunburned and sweaty, Chris was asking Salvador for constant breaks, even though they're both so athletic. <laughs> it's obvious that Salvador is a better athlete. They're in complete isolation when they come over a ridge and see one single runner. Arnolfo was his name, and he stops and runs towards them. He ran Salvador and Chris back to his cave, where they then fulfilled the custom of just meandering outside until he invited them in. He had to clean up all of his running sandals. He said his family was at the main village battling a flu. And so this was just one of his little outposts. He offers them a bunch of sweet limes. He's a brown man with dark eyes and a shaggy bowl cut. He has a thigh-length skirt on, it barely covering his muscular legs, which Chris said shifted like molten metal. This guy is the silver surfer. He is caballo level. He's one of these super athletes, but he's not the one they're looking for. He said he was faster than all of his brothers and cousins. He's old enough where he was a transporter of those weapons. He got to experience the new world and the old world. And he says he looks up to the Kimari elder. There's one of these Kimari tribes that let a paved road come in to their village. And so then he saw all the kids got addicted to McDonald's and all these little sugary snacks. Their running was garbage. He said they got less smart. And he's like, the asphalt is a curse. I will never talk to anybody who runs on the asphalt. And he's like, Chris, I feel like you're a detective. It is Tarahumara custom to never question someone whose house you're in. It's a display of force. 
so he hates this guy he's like are you trying to sell a road into my kimare canyon here chris is able to talk him down of course they're getting some more information about the history the spanish silver hunters originally found the tarahumara before columbus's settlers and he put them in chains they like put their heads on nine foot poles we're saying never try to integrate with us you stinky hippies the relationship got worse they were putting bounties on the heads of the tarahumara you know how this goes is the history of the west they put a hundred dollar prize on apache scalps and then same thing happened to the tarahumara here arnolfo the cave dweller here said when any of those people were approaching you as a good guy you know they are deadlier than the evilest villains the tarahumara were fighting the apache for hundreds probably thousands tens of thousands of years and they knew this was their enemy because they didn't try to sell them an iphone and a new app and some new safe technology when gotta beware of those smiley f he made sure the travelers felt sufficiently rested. It's their custom. I'm just thinking I'm going to have to bleep out that F word there. I said fast. That's what I said. As Chris and Salvador get closer to the main village, they see more Kimare that are acting like um, society, like well-adjusted people. They're getting closer to the roads. Angel would send his kids to a local school three days a week, and he had containers of, like, algebra books. So he's not, like, neglecting the, his kids, making them live in a cave. So the three guys are back in the main village now, and his kids run back. And he's like, we just encountered a different group of kids, the Chawiwi tribe, and we played with them all day. And so Salvador and Christopher take a day just to hang out with the kids. And he's trying to learn the local culture from them. All the kids are like, they tell us at ritual every Sunday that when you die... You get to run around the world as fast as you can, as far as you want, and experience no pain. Running is literally these people's religion. It's like uh, Judaism. The most successful religions are weary of outsiders. He's like, you're a detective. Get the fuck out of here. That's kind of a good heaven. You got to run around, never feel any pain, haunt people. What did we have in college? Um, drinking is the religion. But I'm thinking about the beer mile we did. We're like the Muslims. Instead of circumambulating a black cube, <laughs> we ran around a track and we drank four beers in the length of a mile. You ever hear about a beer mile? You have to do it sub eight. You sprint a lap, chug a beer, sprint a lap, chug a beer. So the hardest part is not throwing up and then, of course, chugging fast. Maybe we could reintegrate this into the Christian religion. At Sunday Mass, you have to sprint down the aisle and then chug wine. I'll go back to church. Copper Canyon is the uh, southernmost runoff of the Colorado River. Like I was saying, you got to pass through Moab, Zion, all these places to get twixt one another. And this was like an ancient highway for Native Americans, the Copper Canyons. They would run up to Colorado in the summer times and then run back to the California coast, Mexico as well, in the winter. Christopher said it was a highway of mystic marauders, man-eating jaguars, Comanche warriors, Apache marauders, and paranoid prospectors. Bro, the Colorado River is the heart of the Wild West. Like They just used to call it the Rio Grande, the big river. 
it no longer reaches Mexico. <laughs> Fucking every like September after the natural forest fires, it turns orange and you know it's all drying up. It's not how it used to be. If you ran into an Apache back in the day, you were dead. If you ran into a Comanche, you better get out of arrow range. And if you ran into a Tarahumara, you didn't run into them. They were only written about in elusive manners. They kept retreating further and further south throughout the 1900s as the white man kept coming west and west. Like the Comanche, they stayed and fought. The Tarahumara were like the Chihuahua who went even further south than them. And they're just known for being looming shadows up on the top of the ridge. Tarahumara eventually took a stand as well. The Barrancas were the name of their warrior class. So in the Copper Mountains in 1916, there were these New Mexico Rangers trying to claim the state. And they keep pushing them further into Mexico. They send a murder squad into Tarahumara territory. It was their biggest watering hole. So the Barranca warriors, they hid underwater, breathing through reeds. When all the white hit squad came down to drink some water at the watering hole, they pop out and drown the guys. It's like classic, bro, when World War Three comes around, I'm going to enlist in the Native American squadron. We're going to be sleuthing around the Chinese jungle fucking merkin bro <laughs> you hear about those vietnamese the native Americans? they were able to like click to each other throughout the woods and communicate they're superior warriors arnolfel is putting christopher and salvador to bed in his main hut in the main village here he's telling them the history while they eat cornmeal this was when chris told him the story of the yerba buena they were apparently the best running tribe in Mexico and the Mexican government came and paved over all of their mountain trails and so then they just no longer started running it we'll get into later how asphalt is not good for you to run on and they're eating soda you know chocolate sugar they got bought out beware of the asphalt Arnolfo said it was only the deeper tribes in the nooks and crannies of the canyon that were able to stay independent because they made drug trafficking money you know so they remained independent you got to break the law sometimes if you don't want to become fat like an american angel said to him the world will know nothing of our tribe when what scientists or historians decide to whitewash over this place morning comes around arnulful is saying there's a hundred mile canyon up ahead and chris is like there's no way i'm gonna hike my way through that i'm gonna stay in this tiny mud brick hut until the caballo finally comes and so he gives him like a couple other uh satellite huts to go out to him and salvador are just traveling miles up ridges around rivers through tiny caverns it's a good adventure story here and they come across a Chwiwi tribe of 12-year-olds. Like, they were just running, and they decided to run with them, and they come across a little Chwiwi village. Chris said that they would accelerate when they felt risky and downshifted when they needed to. They didn't need a coach. They just listened to their body. These kids ran four miles down to the river. They were, like, mixing up green concoctions out of little snails they found half-hatched frog eggs this is mystery cup was the best game as a child i remember feeding my sisters like coca-cola with milk and syrup and ketchup in it you ever see um apocalypse now it's about a mexican 
tribe of like they run they hunt together in one scene they make the rookie eat the scrotum this is just part of like human culture you make each other eat the grossest things and it's funny back at the village for sunset they had a proper meal some more cornmeal and they had cactus innards the kids he said were genuinely happy they would eat chia seeds this is like the main source of protein out in the desert and they are able to eat those fish eggs when it's available meeting all the requirements they got their proteins omegas iron zinc and then they eat a ton of spinach so all your a b d k it's difficult to get the right minerals when you're in a desert they have all the verbal passed down language of how to survive all things like there are stories of old western settlers who died trying to suck water out of cactuses it's got to be one of the most frustrating things you're in the middle of a desert and they tell you you're surrounded by water but you just don't know how to get it there are these methods that only the ancients knew following morning they're pointed in a direction of Samachike, a hut where they're thinking that el caballo might be at they see the first car that they've seen in three weeks and hundreds of miles. You know, how do you get a license? Is there a DMV in the Copper Mountains? The driver is none other than El Caballo. They said it had to be him the moment they laid his eyes on him. He was looking for Chris because the Caballo heard that he had a tail on him. And so he instructed the two of them to hop in the Jeep. They arrive at a small pueblo with a boy playing with a kitten in a living room. And this old woman just puts a pot of frijoles on the burner. All he wore was hiking shorts and a pair of worn-out Tiva sandals. He's got some, like, white boy clothes on. He's not answering any questions. He has his head down. He's just slurping down the beans, very machine-like. He finally breaks the silence, and he says, My name is White. Me llamo. My name is Micah True. I'm California-born, Colorado-raised. He said his dad, when he was 95 years old, he hiked the Copper Mountains against everybody's best recommendations. <laughs> like, old man, you're, gonna, you're already a raisin. You're going to dry out in a second. Everyone told him not to. He took his dog named True, and he came across one of these Chwiwi villages. One of the women said he was very strong. I want to have your kids. Uh, 30 years later, you got El Caballo Blanco with no dad, no named after a dog running across the mountains for no reason. He continues telling extravagant, barely believable stories into the dead of night. Take us to chapter three, Leadville. Chris detoured to tell us about that photographer back from like the 70s who came across the Copper Mountains and the caballo stalked this guy. He admitted that the reason he was willing to talk to Chris is because he saw Chris also trying to run. His previous photographer was even less involved in the subculture than Chris. The only thing that guy wanted to see was their giant marijuana fields. <laughs> like it's rumored how where are these guys getting weed in the desert? They have little oasises that Caballo and Arnolfo and these super athletes are only aware of. Chris, by the end of the book, we don't need all of this through plot today. He's going to find the magical weed field, the field of dreams out there. And he like fulfills the dream of that old photographer. Even uh, John Krakauer did some climbing around the Copper Mountains as well. 
and he wrote about seeing some like shadows running around it's freaking creepy man you do see these feral ass people out there this guy that hiked with john krakauer created the leadville 100 it's the like standard in ultra marathons in america it was in the 1990s this guy he met up with a miner and a pot farmer ken cholber and they were like make friends with pain and you'll never be alone we're gonna teach everybody here that the hundred mile race is not just for weirdos it's going to be the next frontier in human competition in the 1990s the last mine in Leadville closed so you got all these like hard motherfuckers mining men living at 10,000 feet choosing to choke themselves with coal every single day how are they gonna suffer now you gotta meet that what's it called a uh, maintenance dose they're like addicts but they have to get their suffering in Ken Cholber was like I know these miners are going to take up this running habit <laughs> how did he know this Chris is writing about how he went up to the Leadville 100 and was saying, these dumb hippies, what, they just smoke weed and run 100 miles? If they could do it, then why can't I? He didn't even talk about his first race. He, like, glazed over it, and he wrote, I did hospitalize my first time at the Leadville 100. Yeah, the <laughs> most profitable place in Leadville is probably the hospital that weekend. He didn't even admit what place he came in, what time he did. Chris got to meet the cabal of cannabis enthusiasts running at Leadville, and he was like, I now realize the stereotypical stoner personality traits do not exist in people that, <laughs> like, if you're going to run four consecutive marathons, you don't have to be fast. You have to be fearless. That was a bad example of marijuana. You can smoke weed and watch 100 cartoons, or you can smoke weed and run 100 miles fucking there's so much misinformation out there and talking about it only gets you put into a box people are going to start you calling me a hippie i don't give a fuck what anybody calls me but you're retarded if you say that weed gives me anxiety weed makes me scared it's just not for me that's the point of it you have to overcome the fear like <laughs> running i can't run running's not for me it hurts that's the point it's controlled pain and growth you can use these tools even marijuana to expand your mind rather than shrink it Chris originally thought the Tarahumara were a myth. He thought that smoking weed and doing something productive was also a myth. <laughs> so since most people are irresponsible, the few people can't enjoy this medical benefit thing. But of course it's classified as a uh, class one narcotic with zero benefits. Victoriano was the first Tarahumara to ever represent his tribe at the Leadville 100. And he did the first 60 miles of the race without stopping at an aid station. And like they don't tell you during these 100 mile race, you don't run the entire time. These people are walking up hills. You're fighting the breakdown of your body. You're not racing the clock. Victoriano bought three natives with him and they ran the last 15 miles just for fun. Mile 93, Victoriano's sandal strap broke. So he just threw him off and ran the last seven miles on asphalt with bloody feet. Victoriano, his first 100-mile race, came in third place without shoes and never having trained. And you got all these, <laughs> these white dudes with their compression sleeves on. They're slurping down the salt serum trying to get an extra mile in. <laughs> they got beat by a guy in a skirt. 
Ted is like the number one American runner. He uh, coached the Olympics for a while. He's America's future in terms of ultra races. Ted was saying, I'm following Victoriano the whole time. I'm just going to blow by him when his wheels pop. <laughs> and he's like, this guy's wheels never popped. I never saw anything like it. He did 60 miles straight up, no stops. I don't think any white man's ever done that. He says he's addicted to endorphins, how some people are addicted to crack or sugar. Ted is like just a calisthenic-aholic. Ted also took this chick Anne under his wing who literally was a junkie. And he's like, we're going to get you addicted to endorphins, just like how your spouse, whatever, was addicted to sugar in the story. Anne starts putting in 20 miles a day, and she does a 50-mile long run once a month. She was training for this Leadville, and this is like, you are not supposed to do a long run before the event. Like I said, this is controlled destruction of the human body. Don't push it past the breaking limit before you have to prove to all the other idiots that you could suffer more than them and is totally not following the training regiment and she comes in first at this leadville race first for the women of course this chick though she's a fucking junkie and she just beat every other white suburban mom who has running as a hobby just because she needs that high Whatever that fucking is, like, yeah, bro, you're getting ripped off of chemicals when you go for a run. <laughs> you do feel better than when you do cocaine, man. I went for a run before I did this show. Like, I'm starting to use that as a performance enhancer on stage. Calisthenics, combats, depression, all that shit, it gets you thinking clear. It literally does feel like... Your mind is a computer face, like the intro for the show. You're outside the Matrix when you're pushing your body to its limit. This Ann chick, she's like, <laughs> if you put a marathon bib on your local meth head, this is probably how they would perform in a race. <laughs> Chris is getting into how running is uh, like a plan. Like, you got to be a general like Ted the coach all right i'm gonna stop here i'm gonna drink water before this hill but not too much so my stomach isn't sloshing around and then you got the tarahumara who are a different kind of smart they just know their body and like those kids the chwiwis who would speed up and slow down when they fell to his fit they aren't checking their splits they aren't making sure that this mile they did the same as the last mile they gas it when they're ready to go and when they need a minute they recuperate all this news about the natives beating the hardcore trainers the olympians is spreading throughout the ultra community 1996 at leadville a bunch of olympic marathon runners join and so the tarahumara signed up with three slots this time people said they saw them smoking marijuana over on like 8th street in leadville beforehand <laughs> fucking wild men out there and said she lost to these guys in the first 10 miles of the race. They gained a two-minute lead climbing up the first bit of elevation to the Hoppy Pass. Like, I definitely implore you to look up this track. It is world-class running and it is, again, one of the most highly regarded runs in terms of this sport. They, Tara Humana, they skipped aid stations running up the Hoppy Pass. All the other runners are thinking like Ted was last year. They're at a suicide pace. You know, I'm just going to blow by these guys again when their tires pop. 
these uh, Tarahumara this time to make sure their sandals don't break on mile 93, they added a leather anklet thong. Like those chicks that go out and think they're about to crucify Jesus. You've seen these at the club. These sandals are probably better used on the track. Ted is telling himself at mile 26, I'm going to blow by these guys. I see their pace now. I get their trick. They're going for a run together. Ted is the one with his manila folders in his fanny pack. <laughs> okay, I'll go for plan B at the next pass. All these runners have a pulse and a weight check at the 40-mile mark. And, of course, the hoppy just blew by it. They're like, I don't need whatever thermometer you're going to put up my ass here. They run through the next part as well without stopping, which is referred to as the meat grinder. Anne passed Ted at this point, and she goes, how does it feel being beaten by a girl? And he passed her, like, up on the next quail mountain. There's a half a mile of elevation within, like, two miles. Again, look at those Patreon hikes. At some points, <laughs> you're already 12,000 feet in the air, and then you see a 900-foot face that you're just going to have to climb. Like, think about an amusement park. The biggest rides are 300 feet. Yeah, you have to climb a ladder up that thing three times, and there's no safety precautions. Self-reliance is essential in these races, and Anne is, like, actually the one that's going to blow her tires. How does it feel to be beaten by a girl? All right, Anne, when your ovaries start falling out, I'm going to pass by you on the meat grinder. They got 40 miles left, and it's all just, like, running straight back to Leadville at that point. The Tarahumaric come across their first aid station there, and it's all a bunch of locals that flew out with them. They have now people run 40 miles with them to finish the race like they did seven with the guy last time. Tarahumaric have a three-minute lead, and they realize, like, okay, there's nothing uphill from here. They go into that Tarahumaric downhill neutral mode. (laughs) I'm losing it. Whatever that like superpower is they had before, they can run 10 miles per hour downhill. And they said that they set records on every single switchback for the final 40 miles of the race. (laughs) It's like they're a different animal, man. It doesn't make sense. I have dreams, I say this on the show, where I'm able to run on all fours. Like when nobody's looking, I swear to God, these people just turn into wolves and they just send it downhill upcoming ted was like pacing off of Anne, and he pulled the old seventh grade trick at the end you hold on to the person's shoulder until the last hundred meters and then you just blow by them like you can't give away what you have in the tank so yeah how much does game theory really matter in a race but when Anne blew by <laughs> eat my dust He's like, you're a fucking idiot. Now I could just blow by you in the last mile. We got a good quote from Anne, though, this addict. She's all about trying to, like, get high off the run. She said, the flesh around my body felt soft and relaxed, like good background music. Pretty sure that's the definition of a flow state. I think later we have, like, the brain waves you go through in a run. This chick is just tripping balls out there in the hoppy pass. (laughs) Tarahumara, to no surprise, they win the race with a record lead. They beat all those 1996 Olympic marathoners that joined. Anne beats Ted and is the number one placing female. Coach Vigil 
was Ted's Sherpa. And after that race, he was like, Ted, you're my prodigy. You are the coach now. You got to switch it up. Whatever you did last year to this year was absolutely nothing different. Like you saw the hippies come around. So you have this coach vigil guy who was also an Olympian. He's spewing the hippy dippy drivel. He's like, you got to take your shoes off. Whatever these fucks are doing, you have to do it now. It only took two years for runners to be like, okay, we got to adjust. There's something different that can be done here. This is a great chapter. It's one of the best chapters of the year, guys. Passion versus practice. Like, you can be an Olympian and wear the gold medal and have your country's music played. Unless you love what you do every single day, you love the process. You go for that run even when it feels like you don't want to. The passion prevails. I was a little too gay to end it on. Um, I go to the gym at 3 a.m. because I'm a weird insomniac sometimes. I'm just depressed. You can't sleep. <laughs> so you go to the gym. The people you see who are passionate about lifting at 3 a.m., they're not taking selfies. You know, you never see someone trying to fire off a mirror shot when it's the wee hours of the night. <laughs> on second thought, none of us are passionate. We're all just insomniacs. Let's go to chapter four, stoned age. Started this chapter with the rumor that Kenyans have an extra twitch fiber in their ankle. Again, one autopsy could figure this out. It's an unproven claim. As time goes on, we got to stop asking ourselves, why is the black guy so fast? It's not fair. You got to go, why am I so slow? The Tarahumara men, one wearing skirts. Like I'm saying, they didn't have any soul cushioning technology. After the 1984 Olympics, running injuries skyrocketed. The only correlation was the skyrocketing industry of the running shoes. There's nothing else that changed in the world except for people just started strapping casts on their feet when they wanted to go for a run. Coach Vigil attended the 84 Olympics. He said, there are two gods within, the goddess of wisdom and the goddess of wealth. What most people get wrong is putting the goddess of wealth first, right? I paid for the best shoes, so I should be protected. He says, ask nothing of your running equipment, and you will get more than you have ever imagined. Being an Olympic coach, Vigil knew there's a such thing as a natural runner. It's not a surprise people are predisposed to be better at things than others. What this Olympic coach couldn't understand was why are naturals beating other naturals who put in more training in the laboratory, you know, in the physical body specimen place. We are both natural runners, but I put five more hours in than you did. So I should, even running is not a meritocracy. Like nothing is chop for chop. You can't, <laughs> you got to get lucky in everything you do. You can't just rely on hard work. As a militaristic background of his own, this coach served in Korea. He was convinced that, you know, running in his military boots and building up blisters made him stronger. <laughs> You're sending stress fractures up every leg, bone in your leg. Uh, we have Louis Zamperini coming up unbroken. Like, he had special Italian leather minimalist track shoes made. Vigil is going, we need a direct side-by-side -side with the Tarahumara to see where our lineage split. Because he's like, I have the best equipment. It must be my genetics. I'm just going to blame it on that. 
Coach Vigil like buys a Tarahumara Indian, this runner Marty Mano starts being his little test rat. So Coach Vigil takes him to Mount Elbert, and on the first day he runs 70 miles around the base. He doesn't stop. Marty Man was like, I saw La Bruja on the run. And Coach Vigil's like, shut up, I need to put more EFM meters on you. And Marty Man's like, no. I saw the witch. It's in our lore. You only see it on certain runs, and it's not a good sign usually. And that's what it translates to. La Bruja means la witch, but it's more of like a chupacabra, and they say that it can cast a spell on you. So Martimano was like, my knee had a spell cast on it. You know, who knows if a freaking witch actually cast a spell on his knee mid-run, or this guy just has a magical way of thinking which is classified in the dsm as a mental illness he has magical thinking like most natives do and this is a way for him to communicate with his body and his body is telling him bro your knee is about to give out if you run these mountains with zero training (laughs) it's called the rocky mountains out here they're not running on the sand of the desert like where they're used to so he's taking a lot more impact Um, But yeah, he's crazy. These people are living on a fucking psychedelic vibration. I would love to just give everybody this experience without making them have to do anything. Take mushrooms and go for a run. It's pure elation. This is a proven cure to treat chronic depression. Since, again, a few idiots can't control themselves, millions of people have to live in a chronic state of anhedonia. It makes me mad, man. Like I'm saying, I wish I could just give everybody that experience. I don't know. There's a um, pretty good name in the chapter there, though. Stone Age. Uh, Anne, she's like the junkie. And she was technically never diagnosed with anything. His um, Ted, the coach, said that she was had an addictive personality. She's just an adrenaline junkie. And he said she overdoses runs and then is less in touch with her whatever side that's able to let her know when she gets injured and he said they gave Anne marijuana and she was able to feel more in tune with her body in the next run so she wasn't like again bombing the meat grinder all that kind of stuff (laughs) you got to teach these people she was taught nothing and just got addicted to meth and so they just gave her a joint and now she's running even better we're talking about a plant that was smoked by a majority of human beings in the history of mankind, and you are falling for 1930s reefer madness. There is no room for Stone Age remedies in our culture. (laughs) Um, Stromectol was the name of this root that the natives would dig up and make into a tea. Stromectol is the number one active ingredient in ivermectin. You know, the FDA approved this. It has a fucking... Pulitzer Prize, the Emmy, and they're not allowed to talk about it on MSNBC. But on that news channel, they give Chris Cuomo an Emmy. (laughs) These people might be called magical because they make teas out of roots in the ground. (laughs) They're getting it right. There are various ways to cope, whether you're Ted just teaching people, like that's your way to cope. If you're Anne who likes to get high as shit, if you are Chris and you like to to get nosy and fucking go into people's caves there are various ways to cope all these people are runners who are an amalgamation of people who are trying to take action so another one of these similarities maybe just everybody who's running is depressed (laughs) that's why runners do the wave to each other like jeep drivers 
And there you go. El Caballo drove that Jeep. Uh, Coach of Virgil took blood samples of Marty Man and Shaggy, another one of the natives that he stole. And he said that white runners came out with the same exact blood samples. Matt Wild, two people who never met, never did anything. They are completely the same on the inside. I don't mean that entirely because their physiology is different, but their anatomy is similar just because they do the same activities. So when you do go run around the world, you're on Mount Kilimanjaro. A Kenyan will probably wave to you as well. We are the world, the same blood. Did you hear this, ladies and gentlemen? (laughs) The Red Cross will no longer accept donated blood from vaccinated people. Hmm, I wonder why. They only want the pure blood. I'm saying we should be discriminating much harder against people who are doing mRNA, trying to modify their genetics for future generations, or stoners. Who should we fucking put into a box in society more? They did a study that showed the lungs of a lifelong pot-smoking Tarahumara was no different. The only difference, I'm saying not the blood, not even the lungs, the only difference between the people and the whites are their feet. So you got to take care of your feet. Like I started the show saying, we are all born to run, but you could screw it up real quick. I know your mom thinks it's cute, that there's these little sketchers and all that. Oh my God, look, they're shoes, but they're tiny because they're for kids. You are putting a, com- you are foot binding your child like a fucking Chinese princess. <laughs> You're breaking your kid's feet from birth. They need to grow and splay outwards. You are not letting your body develop naturally. And like you could say the same thing mentally compared to those Tarahumara. Their feet were widely splayed out. They were overflowing their sandals. Like these people's pinky toe, it looks like a thumb. They have calluses that are like a half an inch thick. Their feet look like catcher's mitts. It's not pretty. It's more functional. You would think like, (laughs) I work blue collar jobs. I should be one of those guys. I put in a hot day's work. You know, I'm on my feet all day. I got stronger feet than you. Not really, buddy. I stand on those little mats and all that bullshit that's supposed to help. I can feel the stress fractures spider webbing out across my feet. Like the Tarahumara, they're not big and strong working 60 hour weeks. They haul water and chop wood for three hours a day and then they lay in a hammock. You're not supposed to be on your feet for more than three hours a day. Let's be real. Imagine if we fucking put um, hand shoes on. Like, think about how we would all have baby hands. If we put casts on our head, we'd all have tiny heads. I think by not smoking marijuana, America has become the country of shrunken heads. Yeah, take that and shove it up your ass, sober people. We gotta teach people how to use these tools and, like... (laughs) Shoes are good. I'm not this anti-shoe guy. I do my 15-mile hikes. I wear military boots because it helps you cover distance over time. I take these things off, and I got fucking quarter-sized black blisters. I know it's disgusting. I got to fucking put Band-Aids on when I have sex. It's fucking loser-ish, but it's worth it because you could cover more distance over time. These tools have their time and place, but if you wear these shoes all the time, always, you are going to die 
going to a pediatric office every single week and you know old people always have their fucking inserts in their shoes we're selling each other broken feet and by we i mean nike who also has slave factories in vietnam so we know they're ethical christopher is saying we got to get to know how the caballo reversed his genetics like he was born of a 95 year old Colorado hiker or whatever and he was able to run like a Tarahumara. And he said it was because he never put his feet into the shoes. He was always wearing sandals. As for the end of this chapter, Christopher was still getting to know Caballo. You know, the race has already happened. Christopher is traveling up and down to just make sure they're all good down there. It's like a big time in the running scene. Caballo got injured for the first time and he thinks that uh, Chris is La Bruja. He's like, I knew I should have never interacted with you modern folk. Now I'm getting hurt for no reason. I've never been hurt before. And you don't know if this is like some fucking tongue-in-cheek foreshadowing about there's nothing good to come about trying to reintegrate natives. Give them their reservation and let them do their running. Ended this chapter with his whack-ass timeline about um like the Tarahumara are going to try to start to plan a race and bring all the white people down to Mexico because they apparently have the hardest terrain ever and then you got Mike Sweeney won the first hurt 100 and it was put together by Chris Cosman you know the biggest name in ultramarathon running you learned about him in the David Goggins book he was like what Goggins you ran a 24-hour race you know you're not supposed to stop at 100 miles what did your fucking feet hurt you're supposed to keep going this guy like recruits big names to blow up this subculture and uh what's his name Cosman got in touch with Chris to get the Terra Hermuna to have a race started. Chapter 5 here, Second Wind. It's 2006, exactly a decade after Chris met Caballo, headed back to the Copper Mountains. It's a long winter rainy season, unbearable summer months ahead. Chris meets up with Salvador and the Caballo. They're all planning the race for March. They're spending more time with the children. They're asking Christopher... Uh, how come U.S. cities always hold their marathons in urban centers? Like you're running across bridges and in between buildings. They have this preconceived notion that you're supposed to run in nature. Like it's intertwined in their culture. I don't know, man. It's just American culture associates running with competition. <laughs> you know, it's not an event unless people are going to compete against one another it doesn't matter that you're running you have to be running against somebody stoic cultures compare growth to the previous self authoritarian cultures pit people against one another and i'm not saying capitalism china does this too it's not a race unless you fucking are a better violinist than the other kid putting in 100 hours a week you could say there was competition in the aztec empire so yeah, it's hierarchies that cause infighting, not monetary systems, capitalism. It's only if you have a sovereign native land where you can have that pure motive, where this physical activity is not, okay, well now let's see who's the toughest against the toughest. It's just stoicism about perfecting the self. One of the most interesting parts of the book here, running activates alpha, delta, and theta waves. Theta is your emotional sensational responses delta is a deep healing and relaxation and alpha 
reduces anxiety. So all of these, it's like a neurochemical cocktail of relaxation. They put the American runners on a treadmill with the fMRI things on. Americans are mostly in an alpha frequency when running. Again, this is the lowest hertz. It's not bad for you. It reduces your anxiety. But that's the only benefit that Americans are getting out of running. Sure, you're running through an anxiety-inducing city, but you're in an alpha wave, so it reduces your anxiety a little bit. Uh, you don't feel that good when you run through a suburban area. You trail running, it feels like you're hitting that full-on regeneration that we talked about earlier on. They uh, put the Tarahumara on, and they were mostly under theta waves, which um, does your sensations and emotions. So this is a really good look into why they might be seeing La Bruja. They're turning off their beta waves, which is the logical function of the brain. And they're just in this other mode where they're fucking floating, man. Like, yeah, you're going to start to see DMT entities, but those entities actually come bearing relevant messages. <laughs> there are times in history in uh, Germanic villages, they say that entire groups of people can be switched on to a theta wave and so they have you know the dancing sickness or they said um at times in german villages entire groups of people thought that there was a castle up on a mountain a week would go by where the vibe just changed and everybody was like do you remember last week when there was a castle on the hill there was definitely something up there but no you get told that's the uh, mandela effect and you're crazy there's some magical shit going on with running. <laughs> the Tarahumara runners, they're in this theta and this delta combination. Chris also discovered in terms of the wave functions that if you set an intention before a run that you consciously want to either feel better or have a creative thought, you can manifest that. And all of those like words I'm using sound hippie as fuck, but setting intentions is essential towards anything and it's pretty cool that you have that much more control over your subconscious brain america is like reality tv culture um if we can't sell race tickets what are we even doing so why are you going to run unless you are running against people and again what's the intention then i want to beat someone it's not reinforcing i'm going to become stronger today nothing <laughs> self growth wise it's just uh aggression my point here is this Tarahumara race is never going to take off because it doesn't have the hype behind it. This is like, they should just go for a giant group run together. That's much more in line of what makes those people feel whole. <laughs> the guy who wants to raise money biking across the entire nation, he's doing a noble act, but there's no commercial benefit. So nobody gives a fuck. The latter half of the chapter was all about how the first Tarahumara race was a complete bust. Like they um, had this Ted and some of those other big names who were, have liquid money in the running scene were able to go down to Mexico and be there for the race. The big thing was that they united the Umare, the Taramuhara, and the Chiwiwi. So all of those tribes were able to be more friendly than just othering each other. 
<laughs> so instead of like the Olympics, we could have let's all do a group run together. Let's all swim across the English Channel together. It'd be pr- like a spectacle seeing hundreds of humans doing something together. It would change the vibe of the world. And I don't want to see that. Honestly, it's funnier when people go against each other. I'm just saying we got to like trade competition and hate for love. Again, it's gay, but (laughs) we're trying to fix the world here on this show. Not always just trying to get a cheap laugh. Hit people in the nuts. It's funny. Uh, Chris starts writing about how he's like traveling all over the world now trying to find the best runners. There was nothing too eventful. The Tara Humero races just keep flopping. I remember reading one time about there's a Japanese, ancient Japanese culture of monks who would run a marathon a day. And then, like, they would all go to battle for each other. They were the strongest and they fought the hardest so that none of their brothers would die. Like, this is just a reoccurring thing throughout cultures. The people who want to turn their body into the sharpest weapon and refine their blade the most, usually get into super ultra running. Good point Ted made to close out the chapter. In the 1960s, the Ethiopian marathon runner won the Olympic event going barefoot. It got zero coverage in the news. Again, what would that sell? It's only after 1970, 1984, whatever the big white athletes who look good in tennis shoes, can you put that on the news? That does fit in nicely with the chapter, though. There's always a bigger agenda when it comes to, like, the Olympics and these things when there's too much money involved to just let a shoeless guy win. There's so many millions of dollars worth of Nikes to be sold. Like, we had to crucify Michael Phelps for smoking weed because there's enough money in incarcerating black people for having a sack on them. Even though all of the world's best athletes blaze it, we got to make sure the agenda is that trans athletes is the future. (laughs) What the fuck is the Olympics? Let's boycott that shit. Chapter 6, second to last, runners take your mark. Before the race, Ted warned all the Americans how the running shoe may be the most destructive force to ever touch the human foot. He's going, just like Armstrong's leap to the moon, we did it with the wrong equipment. We should have done it with AI. We should have done it with anti-gravity technology. The fact that we went to the moon with diesel oil and (laughs) walkie-talkie communications, it's like putting a mental block in our brain. Why haven't we gone back to the moon, right? We have so much better technology now. It's just that we did it with the wrong technology that we don't want to walk back our steps and say hey yeah we were wrong about what we told you running shoes aren't actually good for you and we're too far now to go back much more money to be made in jet propulsion and selling fuel to go to the moon fuck uh jeff bezos fuck richard branson they are further putting us into this hole of rocket propulsion smartness these guys didn't even go to space they went 50 miles up You know the thermosphere ends at 375 miles? These guys are in the atmosphere. That's a blatant lie. Our commitment to rocket science has foregone the investment into AI and Mars, he's saying. It's an okay comparison. Um, Like, we can't backstep morphology. I'm saying every single child that is born from here on out has fucked up feet. If you take an mRNA shot, you can't reverse engineer that. Every child there on out 
has a fucked up brain, you're going to get blood clots and you have a higher chance of Bell's palsy. These are facts. I mean, I can't run as well because my fucking ancestors put on those um, buckle shoes like a fucking Puritan. Morphology is like a pretty scary thing and it's not just anatomy where it happens. It happens in humans' ideas and the stories that we tell each other. Once a story gets told enough, it's the truth. Running shoes protect your feet. <laughs> um, we have that character, Ted, who started to like move away from all of the technology he's going. If I'm going to want to compete with those people, I have to run like them. At the most convenient time ever, Nike starts sponsoring Ted and Vigil's cross-country team. And he's like going against his own sponsor. He decides to put out his own minimalist shoe. And so he loses the deal with Nike over this. Like, <laughs> Nike can't let people like Ted, who are open-minded, set the trends. He loses all of his money. He can't go down to the Tarahumara races anymore. However, we get the five-finger Vibram toe shoe out of this. This guy, Ted, actually designed it. You've seen these things before. It's hideous. I got to come out of the closet to you guys. I once owned a pair. I used to like just run five miles on the treadmill before high school because I'm insane. And I would run with these little toe shoes on. And it makes, you can feel the muscles in your feet getting stronger. And that's how you have to do it slowly, slowly, slowly to change your morphology. I dissected a cat in high school just on my own time out of fun. It was at a physiology class. And one thing I will never forget is that every muscle, yeah, it's the bicep. It's made up of a million micro muscles. There's like the diagonal posterior bicep and then the forward bicep. All of these muscles need to be strengthened individually. Like you see climbers, they do fingerboards. It's just to get their tendons in between your hands that much stronger. When you wear those toe shoes or when you just go for a walk down the street without shoes on, it makes every ligament in your foot the second most sensitive area in your body, that much stronger. And you need it. Otherwise, you're going to atrophy and die faster. In the 1990s, Switzerland invented their own running brand, On. It was a half-sized shoe, and it was made at a biometrics lab. And they said that the athletes in a lifetime study who wore these had uh, better feet than those who wore the most expensive, most cushioned shoes. You got to go slow and you got to be committed if you actually want to fix your morphology. And I hate to break it to you, you're never going to be as good as the kids who are born strengthening their feet from day one. Isn't that like a movie where they always put uh, a cast on the kid so he always thought he was broken? <laughs> That's literally Americans. Running creates 12 times the downforce as we mentioned earlier in the show a lot of force on your bones and you're thinking oh so then it's so much better for me okay if i have 12 times the amount of cushion absolutely not if you know anything about physics you are supposed to spread out the amount of downforce and that minimizes the impact so if you have that wider foot it's going to protect your knees and your joints much better than if you have a narrow running shoe where you're jamming down onto your heel and like, I'm just telling you the facts today. I don't care when anybody, I don't, you can start to help your feet and you won't have to go to the podiatrist as much in old age, but people are going to tell you, you look weird, not just from fucking walking without shoes on. You could do that at the beach to strengthen yourself, 
but you are going to start to stand out because naturally the human lands on the ball of its feet. You you see people like this and you're like, what the fuck is wrong with that guy? He's healthier than you. There's nothing wrong with him. I had this, my fucking elementary school principal was called Mr. Walk. It was a cosmic joke and he walked like a giant monkey. He's a very fit man. <laughs> Every single child even knew how to make fun of him. We learned mockery at a low age because this man just knew how to take it on the chin. Uh, Nike, like it's uh, Oregon's original sponsor. They never let any of these studies see the light of day. That biometric lab, the minimalist shoe, that shit is buried. <laughs> You're never allowed to find out about it. He gave these painful truths. Number one about runners, the best shoe is the worst. If you're trying to buy the top of the line, you're probably getting conned. Painful truth number two, feet like a good beating. You got to throw down those workouts on them. And then painful truth number three, human beings are designed to run without shoes. You'll probably see like free solo climbing is getting big. There's going to be documentaries on Netflix eventually. They're going to start designing like catcher's mitts for climbers to wear then there's going to be a fission in the community the uh naturalists and then the people who want to decondition their musculature it's wild all these trends and all the studies that get buried americans are oblivious to what real news is we would follow a corporate trend if it was told that it's a grassroots one to us like running companies are worth 17 billion dollars a year they will never try to start telling you to make yourself a healthier being rather than strapping technology to you ted is able to convince a couple heavy-hitting americans to train shoeless in the copper mountains and then in like the early 2000s leadville 100 races these guys start to place along with them you got to get those young runners and try to correct them from the start which will take us to our last chapter chapter seven get set go Starting this one in an ancient mining town down in the Copper Mountains called Batupilis. Caballo shows up for the race. He's already sweating and pink. The race starts. There's all these unmarked roads and corkscrews. You're running up mountains on dirt paths. The white people start getting lost. The woman's division complains that there weren't any aid stations after the first incline. People quit mid-race. People were getting injured and continuously lost. I don't know if there's a Copper Mountains hospital doing Civil War medicine. <laughs> Got to pay them in a fresh basket of limes. Chris tore a tendon during this race, and the caballo wound up winning on his home turf. The natives just weren't meant to race. They all finished in groups together. <laughs> it's kind of an anticlimactic end in terms of racing. That Leadville from before was pretty heavy the whole event instigates this annual pack run that chris has been returning to for like 10 years leadville is the standard in ultras so they were like all right we gave it five years of really badly planned races down here in the mountains uh, you guys cannot even plan an aid station you don't drink water during your races we're gonna keep it up in leadville as the standard which is, again, another kind of trick because you can't train for altitude unless you live at altitude. This is a tricky Colorado getting a home field at advantage. After the race, uh, Caballo took Chris, Ted, and Salvador, again, back up to one of his huts. 
And he's like, I've never shown anybody this hut. It's one of my favorite places on earth. He had um a bin full of limes, a bunch of cactus meat, and then a locker full of what they said were dried smokables. <laughs> and he showed them next to this stream where he lived, this hut, was the chalkiest dirt that he had found in the entire Sierra Nevada desert. And he was like, this is how I train. This is the caballo secret. It's a little bit stronger than sand. It's like when you go down to the beach where the sand meets the water. He's like, this is where I run every single time I want to put in a new record for myself. The guys get high. They go for the best run of their lives. Chris, Ted, Salvador, Caballo. They all run into the sunset. These marathon monks change the world. This is a beautiful ending. <laughs> a lot to learn there. You ever try to run on a friggin' beach? It's impossible. But you're gassed. It's like um, lifeguards are some of the strongest people for a reason. Baywatch was a documentary morphology cannot be reverse engineered <laughs> that sounds like a black runner ladies and gentlemen coming down the track following tanisha is morphology morphology can't be reversed <laughs> um it's the universe you can't undo things it's the whole theme of the show today progress comes with a price whether it's a fucking shoe or a vaccination, they're both going to give you blood clots. <laughs> like, this is all the purification of morals. We think we are just getting so much smarter and so much stronger and faster because we have technology and we're moving away from the caves. And it's actually making people more strung out like Anne. It's making people slower like Ted. It's fucking st making people dumber like Chris, our writer today. He was a good author, but goddamn, there could have been so much more depth in this book. <laughs> like the fucking Native American tribes, they know white man is up to no good. We're just going to do us, motherfucker. Sure, we're going to take some cool technology, but you do you. Leave us alone. The only difference between a homesteader and a native is technology. Like, there's nothing different between these two sovereign people. It's just what they choose to use. And that's the spirit of the runner that we covered today as well. We'll end it on a good quote he had. The past is never dead. It's not even the past. We live with the decisions of our ancestors. If your ancestors chose to wear shoes, you can't run as good. If they chose to get an experimental gene therapy... You're not going to be able to prevent left hemisphere brain strokes <laughs> as good. Um, the Caballos race was referred to as the underground ultramarathon. Free pain, come and get you suffering. Salvador showed Ted the ins and outs of the reservation. The pot fields, he got to see it all. Couple more weeks in the city, Salvador showed Ted the best runner in the U.S., the ins and outs of their reservation. He told them the history. He showed them the secret pot fields. Ted said that he can now see La Bruja. Ted is now getting the full brainwave spectrum out of his runs. Chris questioned him about it. Oh, you're a crazy now, so you're just one of these natives who can see spirits. And he's like, no. Often I visualize just a quicker ghost-like runner ahead of me with a better stride. So maybe everybody's La Bruja is different. 
Maybe it's just that inner voice. He's seeing himself a fraction of a second ahead, just like the intro video for the show. Visualize it. Do it. Everybody is born to run. Thank you, Christopher McDougall. That's going to do it for us today. Definitely enjoyed this book and would recommend it as a read. Go for a run, people. Seriously, you can't hurt yourself too bad, and it's good pain. Next time on the show, we have got an American-ass episode. It is going to be Founding Rivals. Instant classic off the bat, Madison versus Monroe. Who you got? It's the only congressional race between two men that would go on to be future presidents. George Washington, John Adams, Tom Edge, everything. Number four and five. We are learning about the birth of the Constitution and your glorious ten rights that the government is trampling all over. It's going to get even more topical than today, believe it or not talking about one of my favorite topics thank you guys again for tuning in for another edition see you all in seven short days check out the patreon patreon.com slash the niche harry schwant on instagram see you all then take it easy